Welcome to Blind Spots, a podcast where we're helping you fill the gap between what you want to do with your money and what you actually do. We are professional investors, writers, and financial planners helping you navigate the complexities of finance to optimize what you can control and cut out the rest. Join your host, Nick Shermans and Aaron Varghese, as we discuss the questions and nuances surrounding everyday money management. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Blind Spots. In today's episode, we are going to be talking all about three lessons from 2022. So, Nick, go ahead, take it away. It's no secret that 2022 was a difficult year, and this podcast has an investment bent to it. So after any difficult period, I think after the dust settles and you're out of the eye of the storm, so to speak, you can look back and take, take inventory of your behavior and your thoughts and what you did, what, what you were talking about with the backdrop of a difficult market and use it as a way to improve, a way, a way to improve your thinking, a way to document your decisions and to take account uh, of your actions, not with the idea of beating yourself up but to make better decisions going forward because this isn't the last difficult period or difficult year that we're going to deal with. There's, there's going to be others. It's just a part of the cost of investing or excuse me, cost of admission when you're investing that you're going to have good markets and you're going to have bad markets. So that's what I'm aiming to do here, just to look back and unpack how I personally was feeling, some of the conversations that I had. Uh, with the lens on improving the investment process and improving the way that I think and hopefully the way you think. Okay. So first you said that your first lesson was that narratives dominate. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So so think back the last year. It just seemed like every other month there was a new narrative. Like inflation is out of control. The Fed is going to tank the economy. The Fed is underestimating inflation. The Fed is overestimating inflation. Uh, the war is going to lead to more inflation. Supply chain disruption are, are going to lead to more inflation. Uh, the market's going to tank. There, there was just so, it was like the narrative shifted pretty much monthly. And the problem with narratives is they're very intoxicating. They suck you in. You know, a lot of these market bears and, the, and these folks that craft these elaborate narratives, usually with things ending up worse, are very smart sounding. They might even be coming from very respected people, very smart people. They might even work on Wall Street. But my, my only problem with these narratives is, well, there's a few. One, I can say whatever I want. And oftentimes, the more outlandish someone's narrative is, the more attention they get. So that's the first problem. But, but the biggest problem to me is even if I think that the world is going to hell in a handbasket and the government's incompetent and they're going to blow up the debt ceiling or blow up whatever, the Fed's going to blow up the market, how is that actionable investment advice? Like someone once asked me what would happen if Russia dropped a nuclear bomb on the U.S.? Like what would happen to their portfolio? And I'm like, you'd probably be trying to stay alive. You wouldn't be worried about your U.S. treasuries. Yeah. Right? So. While some of these narratives can suck you in, they're smart sounding, they come from respected people or a respected company, a lot of them are just exercises in intellectual shenanigans. Like it's very stimulating and maybe even uh, fun for you to engage in those. But again, they're just not actionable investment advice. Everyone reads the news, listens to the news, whatever. 
How do you instruct someone to differentiate between something that is legitimate, something that should be paid attention to versus everything else? That's a good question. This might sound like a cynic, but if you're reading it in the Wall Street Journal, if you're watching it on CNBC, it's probably not actionable investment advice. It's just not. The market knows about it. Your Aunt Birdie knows about it. Your friends know about it. Like there's nothing to be gained. I think you can watch news, you know, political news, you know, financial news, but treat it as entertainment. Like really CNBC and Bloomberg are the WWE of financial news. And if you like <laughs> mental gymnastics, if you like talking markets with your buddies, yeah, go ahead and talk current events. But when it starts to leak into your investment portfolio and most people have a, a preconceived bias. So if you're optimistic, you're going to, you're going to consume optimistic news. If you're a, a market bear, you're a pessimist, you think things are going to work, get worse. You're going to lean into that type of media. So treat it as entertainment, consume it. But again, when it starts to leak into your behavior, your habits, the way you think, the way you manage your investment portfolio, it's time to probably take a deep breath and go for a walk. I think it's kind of interesting that a lot of times we'll hear something or our clients will hear something and they automatically think that it is advice specific and personal to them, even though it's been broadcasted right. to a huge audience. Mm -hmm. um, and on the, the planning side, I was talking to someone last week and they said, you know, I would expect a 10% return every single year. And so I asked, you know, where did you get that number? And he said, well, Dave Ramsey said that that's what you should expect. <laughs> and I said, you know, we talked about it and expectations um, and what's appropriate for them personally. And so it's just kind of, it's funny to hear them kind of parrot off what they have heard and taken that as gospel. Gospel. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Let's go back to the, the first lesson because I, I want to highlight the lesson. Okay. And the okay. lesson is build an information filter. Like humans are not meant to absorb every piece of information that comes at you. Like I used the example in a client meeting today where someone was asking me about the government being on the verge of driving this country into insolvency or what have you. And I said, back in the seventies and eighties, you had to be very intentional about seeking out information. It took effort. Like you had to walk to the library or buy, or, or buy a newspaper like that, that takes, that takes effort. Now, when I, when my alarm goes off at 5.30, my phone has the top eight stories from the day. That's the first thing I see, boom, like boom, boom, boom. You can't escape it. Humans aren't meant to process the vast amount of information that comes at us. So I say this all the time, but almost no one listens to me. Good investing, good decision-making in the digital age is being very intentional about the information that you read and absorb. I can't understate that enough. It wasn't a thing back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. It's very much a thing in 2023. Build an information filter. If you consume everything, you're gonna be a mess. You, you won't be able to make decisions. You're gonna make decisions out of context of your own personal plan. You're gonna be irrational. You're gonna seek out opinions that confirm your biases rather than challenge them. If you're on social media, you're gonna seek out people that think the way you do, which is an odd way of kind of, of, kind of worshiping yourself. So if you're gonna consume information, Make sure you're balancing it out with something that's completely the opposite, someone who thinks completely different than you, okay? And I, I talk about this a lot, but I feel like even people that I very much respect that are my personal friends fall, fall into this trap. And it's like, dude, what have you been reading? And then they'll tell me, oh man, 
I subscribe to this newsletter. This guy thinks the world's ending and it's like, okay, that's good. That's great entertainment, but it's starting to cloud the way you think about markets and life and money. Okay. Your second lesson you said was the right thing to do is rarely comfortable. So kind of coming off of media and narratives, how do you decide what to do and the right timing of it? Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of sentiment. I've, I've said this many times in the digital age. Sometimes we forget markets are humans trading with other humans. And in general, human beings tend to anchor to what just happened. So coming off a good year in 2021, people might think things are going to get better forever. Stocks are going to go up forever. Coming off a horrible year in 2022, people go the other way. They think things are going to get worse. Things are going to get worse forever because that's their baseline. That's what just happened. Okay. So with that, you know, many people end up doing the opposite of what they should be doing during a difficult market environment. And I'll give you a perfect recent example. And I wrote about this, so I'm not making this up. I wrote about this, what, like a month ago, mm -hmm. a month or two ago, where I, I felt that people were going overboard with cash, right? So a little backstory, like the last 10 years, yields have been low, bond yields have been low, interest rates have been low. Getting a reasonable, a reasonable return on cash just was not a thing. And it's no secret 2022 shocked the system, high inflation, higher rates are bad for most all asset classes. So a lot of people experience losses in their investment portfolio. All right. Sentiments down in the dumps. People think things are going to get worse. On, on the flip side, since bond yields and interest rates had, had, had gone up, people could park cash in a short-term treasury and get 5%. Okay. That all of a sudden became a reasonable trade. The decision to invest in stocks or bonds or cash is not made in a vacuum. A rational investor looks at the opportunity set out there and makes a decision, okay? To many people, to myself included, taking a portion of your idle cash, your short-term cash, and optimizing it for yield, taking it out of your savings account and investing in a U.S. Treasury, getting 5% was a rational, a rational decision. What I saw in practice was people selling stock putting it in 5% treasuries, having savings on the side that would have been invested in a long-term investment portfolio, doubling that in cash or money market or U.S. treasury bonds, okay? And I said at, at the time, I said in my blog, it just feels like people are going the other way, a little too egregiously. Like cash is what's comfortable. Uh, it feels like an emotional decision to pull money out of a long-term portfolio or to keep cash on the sideline and just shovel it into four or five percent bonds. Since the U.S. Treasury one-year bond hit hit a five percent yield going forward, stocks have absolutely crushed U.S. Treasuries in cash. Okay, it's like thirteen percent to one and a half percent. So in investing, what's obvious is seldom the right thing to do. Like I always say, this the time to get more aggressive or to allocate long-term cash to equities is when you feel like you want to throw up. It, it's when you feel gross about doing it. You're probably on the right track, especially if you're a long-term investor. If you feel super comfortable and super confident about putting money in a 5% bond, that might help you sleep at night. But if you're, if you're, if you should be allocating to a long-term portfolio, like that decision point is probably going to hurt over the next couple of years. So for those who have already made decisions, let's, use the cash decision. I've taken money out of my long-term portfolio, put it into a couple U.S. treasuries. Now what? Well, I mean, I don't, 
I don't know if you can reverse that. Like usually I'm not a fan of buying an individual bond and selling it. Uh, so I, so I'd probably advocate a Habsy approach and then I'll get to the most simple answer, but a Habsy approach would be maybe you have a hundred thousand dollars in cash. You're still uncomfortable. You're still nervous. Maybe take half of it and invest it. And I'm, and I'm saying this blanket wise. So like if you're, if you're living off your portfolio and you're retired and off a of fixed income, that, that might not be the best advice. Or if you have a short-term expense coming up in the next six months, that might not be the best advice. But let's assume this is a youngish person with 30 years to invest. You know, you need to mix your personal circumstance with your investment personality. So I would take half of it and invest it, take the other half and keep it in cash. If that helps you sleep at night, that's great. What I'm talking about is going on the extremes, like allocating 100% of your cash or money that would be in a long-term investment portfolio and putting it under the mattress or putting it in a money market fund. Like that's that's feels like an emotional knee-jerk decision rather than a rational decision. So my last point, you know, I heard someone say this and I thought it made a lot of sense. It's like it could be as simple as when you're thinking about the decision on how much to invest in your long-term portfolio versus a short-term portfolio. And, and I forget where I heard this. It might've been on Twitter, but the guy basically stated, look, if you have a big expense coming up in the next six to 12 months, fine to keep it in cash, right? If you're saving for a house, got a construction process or a uh, construction project going, a house remodel. Yeah. Keep it in cash, put it in, put it in a money market fund. That makes a ton of sense. Anything above that, just put, plug it in your long-term investment portfolio. Okay. And when I say long-term investment portfolio, I don't mean hundred percent equities. I mean, a portfolio that's long-term consistent with your risk profile. That, that could be 20% equities and 80% bonds. It could be 50-50. So whatever that means for you, that's what I mean. Not shovel money blindly into all tech stocks. Okay. Last but not least, third takeaway from 2022 is that things get worse quickly and things get better slowly. How are you reflecting on that this year? Well, in, in the exact moment of a difficult market, it feels like the worst thing ever, right? It feels like the pain is never going to stop. The losses are never going to stop. Fast forward a year later, most people look back and, and often say, oh, that was an obvious opportunity to buy more stock or to plug more in my investment portfolio. So the point is that every crisis feels, feels the worst because we're hit, again, with information. It's, it's in the newspaper. It's on social media. Your friends are talking about it. In progress, it's usually the opposite. It's not on the news. It happens very slowly. It happens over time. And a perfect example would be this difficult market of last year. I'm not saying it can't get worse. We can't hit that again. But when you reconcile the headlines of October 2022 to the first quarter of 2023, let's say, it was definitely more bad than good. And I, and I, look, at, I look at sentiment a lot in my blogs. I point to pessimism and and bear market spreads and all that. And it's interesting to me that this last cycle, people felt worse over the last year than they did during the great financial crisis. And again, I think it stems from the information flow. Like everyone has a cell phone now. Like I didn't have a cell phone in 2008. So people are bombarded with this crap. Most everyone's on social media. And I think sentiment is now more important than ever because sentiment, it's been proven over every single cycle, no matter the cause of the market sell-off, when humans feel like crap, future returns are really good. When humans feel great, future returns are not so good. So a, a reasonable, objective investor with an information filter could have looked 
could look at sentiment numbers. They could talk to their neighbor, their aunt, their social circle. Everyone's saying the same thing. When everyone agrees, something else happens. Lo and behold, we're in a new bull market up 20% off the lows. The headlines were crappy. We just got through the debt ceiling. Um, you know, inflation is still too high. The market doesn't care. Like looking at economic data is like driving, looking in the rearview mirror. That's just what happened. Mm -hmm. The market has their hands at 10 and two. They're looking forward. They're looking for hazards. They're looking for opportunities to get to their, to their destination quicker. That's what markets are doing. They don't wait for things to settle down and for things to calm down and everything to be all, all great to go higher. It's, it's really quite the opposite, but that's not how the human mind thinks. So progress is what you don't see. You'll like you'll never see progress. But but think about your own household, your own business, your own job, your your own friends. Everybody wakes up wanting to do a little bit better that day. Improve, improve your job performance, improve your weight training, improve your your waistline. Most people wake up wanting to do better. And when you multiply that by billions of people, you get progress that's slow. It's invisible. You can't see it, but but it's there. And look, like markets want to go up. Like if I like I shared this in a previous blog. I, I shared the distribution, the frequency of various returns, like throughout the last hundred years, where you know it works out like the left side of the graph would be the number of instances the market's down 20 to 30%. The number of instances the market's down 30 to 40%. The number of instances the market's up zero to 10%, 10 to 20%. It's a positive skew, meaning markets generally want to go higher. Okay. Market bears, like if you were to show them this and say, okay, yeah, things can get worse. Things can go poorly. It certainly happened. It's going to happen again. But I think most people vastly overestimate how frequent these negative Armageddon market sell-offs are. I mean, you can count them on one hand over the last hundred years when things have gotten really, really bad. Mm -hmm. So I'm a fan of evidence. I'm a fan of market data. I'm a fan of human psychology, sentiment, evidence. I already said evidence, but I'm going to say it again because narratives sound great. But the question I ask to people that have these doomsday, doomsday narratives is, do you want to be right or do you want to make money? And I think some of them get more satisfaction for being right than actually making money. Well, that's good. Well, if you have any lessons that you've learned from 2022 shoot them our way we always love hearing investors improve their mindset and make better money decisions and if you have any questions about anything we talked about in today's episode you can always send it over to insight at pureportfolios.com we will see you in the next one